0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Psalm 90, we're going to read through this and then I'll make some comments to you about it and We trust the Lord will will use it. So let's read together. You follow along as I read. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in Thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We, spent our, we spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom." Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. In most of our Bibles, you have a title to this, to this psalm. It's called, A Prayer of Moses the man of God, and we understand that this is one of, if not the oldest psalm that we have, and it's written by Moses, and he wrote a handful, or the Lord used him to write a handful of these. Just something interesting as we, as we look at even just the title, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, the man of God. I'm always challenged when I hear that term to describe a believer, man of God or woman of God. Why was Moses a man of God? What do we know about Moses that lets us know that he was a man of God, not a man of the flesh and not a man of the world? Well, it's because he spent time with God. He walked with God and he talked with God and as it were sometimes face to face. And uh, wouldn't it be a great blessing if someone were to describe us that they could call us men or women of God and not women or men of the world or men and women of the flesh, but men and women of God? I think that's a worthy goal, don't you, men and women of God? Like the apostles, they weren't anything fancy or they weren't superheroes at all, but the religious crowd knew that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would use our lives to let people know that, hey, we have been with Jesus and we want to tell you about Him, He's called the man of God. But we're also told that this is a a prayer. It's not primarily a song, but it is a prayer put to music, put to song. And it's the plea of a man in his sunset years as he leads the children of Israel. This plea is not only of Moses, but as we read through, we'll find that he uses plural form as we, speaking of the, the children of Israel. And so it's a plea and there's some urgency and there's some understanding uh, that we can get from this psalm uh, that applies to us today. The time period of this psalm was most likely toward the end of the wilderness wanderings. If you remember the first generation of the children of Israel as they were freed by the power of God and the leadership of Moses, from, freed from the bondage of uh, the Egyptians and they were headed toward the promised land and the first that first generation that older generation is passing off of the scene during this psalm and uh, because of the the judgment that was placed upon their sin because of their disobedience you remember that God brought judgment on their sin because they had been Uh, murmuring and complaining after all the Lord had done to free them. And uh, there were many miraculous things that God proved Himself. He didn't have to, but He proved Himself to His people and and they followed Him. But boy, one little negative thing comes up and it just uh, caused such murmuring and complaining. Isn't it amazing that God can do so many wonderful things for us and we can pick out the one or two negatives as we view it and it can sour our spirit? That first generation of Jews had a very sour spirit. It was, it, they were so concerned about themselves and not the God who had taken care of them up to that point. And God finally said, if you're not going to go into the promised land that I've provided for you, if you're going to be disobedient, then you're going to die in this wilderness. And so those that were 20 years old and upward uh, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and... Those that were 20 and older died in the wilderness and never got to see uh, the promised land. And so during that time period of the first generation and then the second or the younger generation coming on and growing up and planning to enter into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, because uh, this was also during a time that perhaps Moses was even aware that he wouldn't get to enter the promised land himself. He had smitten the rock twice. God had said, uh, speak to the rock. The first time he smote it. The second time he was to speak to it. But in his frustration, he smote the rock. And because of that, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. Plus, he understood that someone else will will lead them in. It wouldn't be him. It It would be Joshua, and Joshua would lead them. And so realizing this, Moses submits himself and and the people submit themselves to the Lord in this prayer. And I want to point out just four things for us. If you're taking notes, I want to point out four things to consider this morning. First of all, I want you to notice in verses one and two, the beauty of God. God is amazing and beautiful in all that he does. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Solomon said. And the Bible tells us in verse 1, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We see the beauty of God in these two verses through a couple of means. First of all, through his faithfulness. You know, the Bible tells us that, that God is immutable. He is unchanging. He doesn't change. And His immutability is the basis of His faithfulness. Aren't you glad that God is faithful to us when we're faithful? And aren't you glad that God is faithful to us when we're not faithful? God is faithful and he will always be faithful. He always has been faithful because he doesn't change. And we can bank on the fact that God has been faithful. And he says in verse 1 that he is our dwelling place, our abode. They were saying that your presence is our home. I've got to be honest with you, there are some times when I pray, I'll get on my knees and, and, and put my face into a chair and, and, and pray, and sometimes it seems like it's not going beyond the ceiling, as we say sometimes. And then there are times where I sense that for whatever reason, I enter into the presence of God, and there's no more secure or safer place than when we understand we're in the presence of God. And His presence, is it to you like home? Is there security and safety in the presence of God? Of course there is. And God is faithful, and aren't you glad, whether we feel it or not, when we go to prayer and when we spend time with Him, when we are uh, bearing our hearts before Him, He is there and we are in His presence. And they were saying, your presence is our home. He goes on to say in, in verse number one, in all generations. It's not just speaking of those two or the generation that is in the wilderness or the generation that's going to enter into the promised land, but all generations. All generations. From Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Egypt and the wilderness and on and on, God is our dwelling place in all generations. He is faithful to be what He said He would be. But not only is the beauty of God found in His faithfulness, but His beauty is found in His sovereignty. In verse number 2, we see that, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever the, uh, thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You see, Moses knew the I Am Forever thou art God, from everlasting to everlasting. We understand that God is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is with us in all times and any time. He is sovereign and in control. And in His sovereignty, God knew Israel would disobey, didn't He? In his omniscience, he knew that Israel would wander. He knew they would complain. He knew that they would murmur. And yet in his faithfulness, he was with them. And I think you would agree, that's beautiful. Because in your faithfulness and your lack of it, in my faithfulness or lack of it, there's one thing that we know. We know that God is faithful no matter what. And that's beautiful. He's faithful so we see the beauty of God but not only that the timelessness of God reveals number two the brevity of man We see the beauty of God but in verses 3 through 6 the brevity of man I want you to read the or follow those with me as I read because in these verses Moses shows us five comparisons to illustrate man's brevity he does that by showing us the eternality of God, but reminding us of our brevity of life and how quickly things pass. And so in verse 3 we read, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. That those words destruction and return are in reference to returning to dust. As God told Adam in the garden that because of sin he'll work by the sweat of his brow and he'll return to the dust. Or as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and in verse number 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. All of us are going to return to the dust. But I like this next part. And the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. We see the brevity of man. Verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. God uses the illustration that the, a thousand years to God is just it's like one day. In other words, He is aware and a thousand years ago is just as, as current to God as right now. Because God is the I am, and He lives in all time. He is aware of all things at all times. And we see the timelessness of God, but we don't live that way. We we live in in a moment. We live, we count by seconds and by minutes and by hours and by days and by years and by decades, and not much beyond that. But from everlasting to everlasting God is eternal but we will return to dust we uh, are are living in the moment he goes on to say in that verse verse 4 the latter part and as a watch in the night the brevity of man is as a watch in the night to God a thousand years is like a watch in the night What, what is a watch in the night the Jews had several watches and they were all divided by three hours. Now to us, some days, three hours seems forever. (laughs) But God is forever in in the now. But our lives are so brief, we're so focused upon upon the now. The brevity of man is like a flash flood in verse number uh, five. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. Our lives are here and they're gone. Just like a flash flood uh, raises all of a sudden and, and takes away whatever is in its path, it, 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 it is gone as quickly as it comes. What an illustration of our lives coming and going. It is like a sleep in the night. Now, last night, I got a good night's rest. I slept six hours solid. I'm grateful for that. Aren't you grateful when you get a good night's sleep? I, I laid my head on my pillow. And six hours later, I heard this awful noise. And it was the alarm. But you know what? That six hours passed just like that. One moment, I'm laying my head on my pillow. The next moment, that crazy sound. And that's the example of the brevity of our lives. It's here and it's gone. It's like a good night's rest. It's here and it's gone. And then he says in verse number 6, in, uh, in the, or the last part of verse 5, in the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withered. Our lives are like a blade of grass. It sprouts, it grows, it fades, it withers and dies all in a day. James said we're like a vapor. The brevity of man. And so these verses speak of man's brevity, but it also speaks of man's weakness compared to God. God is eternal. He ever liveth, but we will return to dust, and death is inevitable in all of us in this world, and every person that was born of woman is going to die. Our weakness, the brevity of life. And here's the admonition. Life is short. So don't live in disobedience or live for this world and miss out on the opportunities He provides. I think the saddest example of that is the children of Israel. They had seen God through Moses perform these miracles to loosen the grip of the nation of Egypt upon uh, Israel. By the Passover, they had freed them and they are traveling now and going across the uh, Red Sea and uh, God divides the waters and dries the land. They walk over uh, on dry land. God does a miracle, does miracle after miracle. They're led uh, by uh, a cloudy pillar by day and a a pillory fire by night. God provides for them water out of the rock. He turns bitter water into sweet water. He provides manna for them every single morning, faithfully as He is. He provides all of those things, and yet when one thing comes up that's wrong, or, or the fears overtake them, or the worry grips their mind, they begin to complain and murmur and want to stone Moses and want to go back to Egypt. They were so entrenched in living for this life that they failed to take advantage of the opportunity that God had given them for the victorious Christian life, for the promised land life, and they never got there. They missed an opportunity. I wonder how many opportunities I have missed because being so caught up in this life, in this world, and these things. So the admonition is this, life is too short to live for this life life is too short to live for this life this life comes and goes it's it's taken away as quick as a flash flood takes away uh, the the dirt and the grass and the trees in its way life is as brief as sleeping in a night you lay your head down and you fall asleep and in an instant it feels like you wake up it's here and it's gone and life is too brief to live it for the things of this world and the things of this flesh. Life is too short to live for this life because of the brevity of man. We see the beauty of God. We see the brevity of man. And number three, we see the humility of God's people. These are some difficult verses. There's are some honest verses. And they're to a place where Moses and the people are being honest with God about who they are and what they have done and the judgment or the chastening that they understand to be just. I talked with a man this, this week who has many, many troubles. Pastor wanted to help him. He had gotten a call from another pastor and pastor wanted to help this man. And, and uh, so he asked me to get some things and take those things to him. And I got to meet this man. And, and from the start, he had excuses and reasons for all of his hardships and all of his problems. And it's, it was somebody else's fault and it was her that did this and it was my whatever family that did that and all of these things... I gave him a little bit of my testimony and my background before getting saved, and and he had made a comment, and I said, look, you and I both know that's not true. I said, you and I both know that Jesus Christ is your only hope. But I said, until you come to a place to where you recognize that these are consequences of decisions that you have made, And when you're ready to take these on as your responsibility and to come to God in honesty and sincerity and to say, God, I'm broken. I can't do it on my own. This is my fault. I need help. Then you're going to continue to wander and continue to be in bondage to those things. I don't know if he did this, but he said, I know what I need to do. He broke down. He began to cry. He said, I know what I need to do. I need to get alone and get on my hands and knees, and I need to ask God to forgive me and admit to him that this is my fault. And I said, when you do that, you'll be in a good place because that's when Jesus Christ can change your life. Moses and the people are finally, after all this time, it would seem, are, are, are being honest and, and, and sincere and understanding that where they are is on them. It's not God's fault. It's not Moses' fault. It's on them. And if you spend your life blaming other people and making excuses for all these other things, you will never know the peace and the freedom that God wants to give you as a believer, and you'll never know salvation to those that don't know Christ until you come to Him in humility. These verses 7 through 11 we are consumed by Thine anger and by Thy wrath, are we troubled? Thou hast set our iniquities before Thee and our secret sins in the light of Thy countenance. God, you know it all, you know everything, you know the truth. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. They were told they were going to wander in the wilderness until they all died. Our years as a tale that is told. The days of our lives are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. I'm thankful we have somewhere to fly away to. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. What are they saying? Well, this speaks of the personal experience of God's chastening on his children and their submission and repentance to the Lord. They acknowledge that these troubles were the result of God's wrath and their sin and upon their sin. God's chastening. And you understand that God doesn't chasten His children because He's angry. He chastens His children to draw them back to His care. He doesn't chasten His children just to make them miserable. He chastens His children to help them know how weak we are and how brief our life is to draw us back to Him who is the eternal God who has an eternal purpose for our lives. They were humbled people humbled by their frailty, humbled by their sin. And that's exactly where the Lord needed them to be. And if you know Christ as Savior, that's exactly where you had to come to receive the goodness and grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. James says it like this in James chapter 4 and verses 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You realize that if you and I are honest with God, He is willing to give us grace, unmerited favor. Isn't that beautiful? We have such a hard time with humility, though. I have such a hard time with humility, pride. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Our flesh doesn't like any of these words. But if you're going to understand and know the presence of God, this is where, what it comes through. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, God can tell us this stuff because he knows the truth about us. You let somebody else say this to us and, yeah, you're one to judge, right? Can't say that to God. He knows. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what will He do? And He shall lift you up. There's no way up unless we first go down. There's no victory until we understand we can't win it without Him. And in humility, they accepted that God is just in His judgments, but they also understood that He is also merciful. The beauty of God, the brevity of man, the humility of God's people. And number four, the commitment to the future. Their commitment to the future. Verses 12 through 17 show us, Their commitment is seen in the petitions that are made. And this prayer, these these petitions are made with urgency. And when you read them, read them, (coughs) excuse me, read them with urgency. The commitment to the future. Verse number 12 So teach us to number our days. Why? They're brief. We know what our past has been. We know what we have left. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What is he saying? They're saying help us with what we have left so that we can learn and work and serve and gain wisdom. Help us to understand that our time is brief, but you're a merciful God and take what we have and use it and teach us. In verse number 13, the Bible says, Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. So we see to help us to invest what we have left in order to gain wisdom They desired that the situation they were in would be used for God's glory and the help of others. Who are the others? It was the next generation that would enter into the promised land. It was their children. It was their their grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. It was every generation. And they knew that, that they had made some mistakes, but now they're in a place of humility and they are understanding the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And as a result, they say, God, take what is left and use it not just for me, but for those that come after me those that are watching me in my own home, those that are working with me at the shop, those that are traveling with me in the the vehicle, those that are living by me as my neighbor. And then it says, verse 13, allow your presence to be among us again. They acknowledged their past, but understood they were still God's servants and they still wanted to do something for God. You see, the devil works in a way that when we see some of the failures and the mistakes in our lives, we are convinced, or Satan tries to convince us, uh, demons, the devils try to convince us that we can't do anything for God. And there are many people who live in such a defensive posture as believers because they, they feel like that's all they can do is just protect themselves from all the attacks, but that's not the way that God intends for His people to live. God intends His people to live in victory and intends His people to be more on the offensive than on the defensive. And they understand, and they came to a place to where they still wanted to do something for God. They, from this point, wanted to move forward. And I don't know where you are in your life, and I don't know uh, everyone's age, and I don't know the things of your past, but I know this. God is the God of today, and He is willing to take you where you are today and change your life if you don't know Him. He is willing to take your life and use it for His glory if you'll let Him. Verses 14 and fifteen. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. He says, help us to invest what we have left in order to gain wisdom. Allow your presence to be among us again. And verses 14 and 15, restore our joy even the scales of sorrow and rejoicing. Of all the time that our foolish decisions and wrong decisions have brought circumstances that are not favorable, that have brought sorrow, would you please add, and even those scales from this point forward, with the joy of the Lord in my life. That's a choice they were making. They wanted a fresh start, just like David got a fresh start. They thought, we may not have the promised land, but we can rejoice in the Lord and who He is and in His faithfulness and in His sovereignty. It's like Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. You can't rejoice in all the circumstances, but you can always rejoice in the Lord through the circumstances. God's faithful. They understood true peace and contentment was in God alone. Help us invest what we have. This is our commitment to the future. Allow your presence to be among us again. Restore our joy. In verses 16 and 17, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Thy work. and Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands. Establish thou it. This is their commitment to the future. O oh Lord, prosper the work that is ahead. First part of verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants. What is he saying? Help us to wake up. Help us to see. Help us to acknowledge. Help us to understand. Help us to see what you're doing and let us be a part. Help us wake up and see. Maybe that needs to be our prayer this morning. God, help me to wake up and see where I am in your will and in your purpose for this time. And as we serve, may our children see the Lord in us. I can't think of a better witness for parents than to, to, to be examples of those who walk with God in humility. I'm not talking about living perfectly and, and, and showing, showcasing some uh, type of, of level of Christianity that seems unreachable, but living real life. Giving God the glory for the victories and when you make mistakes, admitting those. I can't tell you how many times I've apologized to my kids for making foolish decisions with their, with the words that I say have said to them, with the the, the discipline that I've decided to do. R- r- just real Christianity. Some days we do good, some days we don't. But God's faithful. Some days we do it right and some days we make mistakes. There's no need to, to, to put out some level of Appearance. May God deliver us for living for the appearance of man. As we serve, may our children see the Lord in us. And he says in verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. What is the beauty of the Lord? Well, we learned that the beauty of the Lord is his faithfulness. And they're saying, let that beauty be upon us. Help us be faithful, God. We haven't been as faithful as we should have been. Help us be faithful. And the last part of verse 17. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands. Establish thou it. I believe they're saying let what we do be done in truth and let it last when we're gone. We want a heritage. We want to make an impact. Do you want God to use your life? Or do you want to just live life and exist. And I've been in the position personally where I felt like I was just existing. It's miserable. But I'd begun to believe the lies of the enemy and in pride and in pity, they're both the same thing. Arrogance and pity, it's all Pride. It takes some time, perhaps, for the Lord to get that out of us. But isn't it amazing that when we recognize the beauty of the Lord, the brevity of life, humble ourselves uh, before Him, isn't it amazing that it always revolves around service? And it's not that God has to make us work and serve. They're asking for work. Well, that'd be great on a work day to have the whole church show up and say, hey, we're here to work. What can we do? That is not a hint to anything that's coming. But, but, but in service. Because life is brief, we must redeem the time. Every moment of every day is a precious gift that God gives us and it's to be appreciated and used to honor Him. It makes a difference when you allow God to live through you instead of trying to live in the image that you think it ought to be. It's bondage. I want you to pray for a, a, a young man. His name's Chris Coney. He's one of the, uh, one of the subcontractors that, that worked here for a couple, three months on this project in the back. When he first came, I, I, God just convicted my heart to give him an essential booklet and to talk to him a little bit. I so said, I don't know where you are with, with God and what you believe, but I want you to take this. Our pastor wrote it, and it's, it's concerning things that are, that are important, the essential things in life, what's really important in life. He said, I'll read that. We worked together for a couple of months. He worked around here. And, and uh, by the way, let me just say this. I'm only going to tell you the good illustrations of what I've done. There there are multitudes of times where I've not been obedient to the Lord. There's, There's times that I've not obeyed and given a gospel tract or not talked to someone. And I have to repent of that and seek God's forgiveness. But this day, I gave him one. A couple of months later, we're working together. He's around here all the time. He's single. He's good looking. Single teachers are chasing him around. I'm just kidding. They're not. But he's a, he's, he's, he's a good guy. Had him in the office this week, and I said, hey, I want to ask you something. Did you happen to read that essential booklet? And he said, well, I, I read some of it, and, and I had some questions about it. He said, you know, my hang-up is religion. It's just, you know, I see people say something, and... and, and and, and then they live differently than what they what they say. Well, all of us are guilty of that at some point. He said, but as I have been working here, I've seen how the staff treats each other. I've seen how the people treat each other. He said, and I can't use that excuse anymore. He said, I know I need to get in church somewhere. You know, as you and I try to Live our lives not for this life, but for the one to come. As we live that life, it's amazing how as we cross paths with people, God uses that to stir them, to draw them, to remind them of the brevity of life, but of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. The life that they can have. He's he's in turmoil in his heart. And I said, you know, the the, the greatest thing about this conversation, we probably talked for 20 minutes, and I said, the greatest thing about this conversation is that you're willing to consider. And I told him, what you do with Jesus Christ will make all the difference in your eternity. God's allowed him to go through some things. He sees his frailty. And I'm praying that God will save him and that he'll turn to Christ. I hope you'll pray that with me. This morning you're here and you feel like you've existed. You're, you're, you're searching for something. You want something. And you've looked in many different areas and did many different places. May I ask you to give up on investing in this life only? And would you recognize that God has life and life more abundantly to give to you? And if, as I told that man in that hotel room, if you'll just come to the end of yourself, I'm broken. I don't deserve heaven. I've sinned against you, God. And I'm sorry. But I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I believe you love me. And I want to accept the gift of salvation. I want to accept the gift of eternal life. Please forgive me. When you come to God in that attitude... When you draw nigh to God, what's the Bible say He does to us? He rushes to our aid. The Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the throne, and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He wants to intercede for believers, but He also intercedes for those who put their faith in Christ, that prayer, uh, that, that turning to Jesus Christ, that salvation. And it's as simple as you coming to Him and believing on Him. Religion will never get you there. Turning over a new leaf will never get you there. It's when you humble yourself before the Lord. For those of us here that know Christ as Savior, we've put our faith in Him. We have been broken and God has mended that but perhaps you look back on some of the days and you feel like you've spent so much time investing in this life, but not in the one that really means something, the one that means something for eternity. And God has spoken to your heart. You know what? He'll give you a fresh start. He gives us a fresh start every morning. As a matter of fact, He tells us His mercies are new every morning. You come to Him And He'll bring strength and help and healing. He'll be exactly what you need. This life is too short to live for this life. What are you living for? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.